So, we are officially in the season of Lent. And for many of you, this is your first time practicing Lent. Uh, In fact, I was delighted at our Ash Wednesday service uh, over at Mount Zion a couple days ago. Ash Wednesday officially kicks off Lent. Um, I was delighted to see how many people there uh, and chatting with people after the service who came up and said, this was the first time that I've ever attended an Ash Wednesday service. Uh, This is the first time I've ever uh, entered into a season of Lent. And so I'm just excited to see how much renewed interest there is in the holy and and ancient traditions of, of Mother Church. So what is Lent? What is this season? It's not in the Bible. You know, it's not like we can open up the Bible to the book of Lent and and see the apostles giving us clear instructions on how to observe this season. So why do we do this? Why do we do Lent? Are we we just making it up so we can just get extra crowns or extra jewels in our crown when we go to heaven? You know, we're trying to get extra Jesus points by celebrating Lent. Are we somehow trying to convince God that we're super worthy of his grace? We totally deserve that. No, of course not. That's, that's not why we observe Lent. So Lent began uh, very early on in the Christian church as a way to prepare for the great feast of Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. And so Lent is 40 days uh, in preparation leading up to Easter. It was a time when pagans uh, were preparing themselves to be baptized at that Easter service. And so the 40 days was spent as a time of examining their hearts, of of shedding themselves from pagan practices that were contrary to holy living. It was also a season in which those who were notorious sinners, who were a part of the, the church, who had been asked to spend some time away from the church, Lent was a time in which they were restored back home. It was a time in which they themselves would go through repentance and forgiveness and then ultimately be re-welcomed or restored back into the family. So Lent is a time of coming back home. It's a season of homecoming. It's a season in which all of us, the entire body of, of, of Christ, come and renew our repentance and faith. Lent is a project of restoration. I think if I was to pick one season in the church calendar that resonates with, with our church, it'd probably be the season of Lent. And I hear many of you all the time say that it's your favorite season of the year. It's a project of restoration. Well, the first Sunday of Lent is always a time in which we look at Jesus' temptations in the wilderness, a time in which he confronts the devil, a time in which he tells the devil to go away. And for us today, I want us to to look at uh, the realities of the presence of evil. And then this year, instead of looking at each one of the three temptations, I want us to hone in on just one of the temptations. I want us to look this year at just one of the temptations, give particular attention to just that one. So, the reality of the devil. The first thing that I'd like to say today is that evil is real. Evil is real. And I don't mean that in a, in a pedantic sort of way where I'm just saying, hey, guess what? Bad things happen. That is the most obvious fact of human existence uh, that one could say. No, instead what I mean is that evil is a personal presence. Evil is a thinking, plotting, hunting, personal reality in the world. Some philosophers and, and sometimes even Christian theologians will tell you that evil is simply the absence of good. Just in the same way you might say that darkness is the absence of light. 
And I think, sure, maybe to a degree we can agree with that. Yeah, when, when good is not present, then bad things can happen. But that's an insufficient definition. To say that all evil is explained as an absence of goodness is, is rather naive, I think. And it's certainly not Christian either. Did you know that here in the Twin Cities, there's over 200 Wiccan covens that exist? There's over 200 places where, if you wanted, you could go and you could consult with spirits. You could ask someone there to communicate to the dead on your behalf. This is something that's absolutely prevalent in the Twin Cities. Uh, Pagan, uh, what is it called, Pagan Con or, or something like that, happens annually here in the Twin Cities. In fact, just this week, I was, I was at a Christian prayer service, and someone had asked to bring into the service their crystals and bells, uh, which we said no. <laughs> and we might be thinking uh, here as, as good Christians that, uh, you know, we might want to say, really? Like a, a personal presence, evil? Aren't we beyond that these days? Now we're, we're, we're rational creatures. But there's plenty of people in the Twin Cities who would want to say very quickly, Yes, there are spirits out there, and yes, we can talk to them. Yes, they can give us advice. I've shared this story with you before of how I was at a coffee shop. This was over a year ago now, but I was in a coffee shop in the area, and I overheard two women discussing where the best places to go for uh, receiving wisdom from spirits is. Well, not only um, do we see experiences like that happening, but all we need to do is just look at our society at large to see the, the, the personal presence of evil. Children are being oppressed at, at, at higher than ever levels of anxiety and depression. Suicide rates and self-harm in our country is just spiraling out of control. And yes, obviously there's a mental health issues, but when we step back and we look at the prevalence of it and we look at the severity of it, there's a level of, of strategizing, there's a level of destruction, there's a level of death that I think can only be explained by a present plotting and personal evil. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean as, as God's people? Do we run and hide? Do we freak out? Do we go to Costco and, and stock up our, our inventory of paper products and canned goods? No, absolutely not. We turn to Christ our King because we are the redeemed people of God covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We turn to Jesus, the one who is goodness made flesh, Truth incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, the good shepherd, the one who looks evil in the face and says, be gone. So now let us turn our attention to the temptations. And like I said, I want us to look at the first temptation this year, today. Because I think that this first one, we can argue about which one's more dangerous or whatever, but I, personally, I think this first one is probably the most um, prevalent temptation to us. This is the temptation of appetite, the temptation of feed me, the temptation of I need to be satisfied here and now. And when I say appetite, I, I don't mean simply being hungry. I don't think it's a sin to say, so where do you want to go to lunch after church today? Like that's, that's not what I'm talking about when I say appetite. No, I mean that unquenchable appetite. That, that feeling of desire, or feeling a desire, and then without hesitation, satisfying it. What I mean by appetite is being a slave to the belly. That's what I mean. So Jesus, he's been fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days of telling his appetite, no. 
And yes, while Jesus is the divine son of God, he's also fully human. His stomach is beginning to get hungry. He's tired. His body is weak. His mind is getting fuzzy. In our household, we have a, we have a term for this. Maybe you use it. We call it being hangry. So Jesus is feeling very hangry right now. So it's here in this moment when Jesus is hangry that the devil comes. He sees that Jesus is tired. And the devil has pity on him. The devil says, oh shoot, Jesus, I caught you at a really bad time. I'll come back later, Jesus. No, of course not. That's certainly not what the devil does. This is a precisely when the devil comes to attack Jesus. It's when you're tired. It's when you're confused. It's when you're already stressed out of your mind. Those are the moments that the devil comes. He goes for the stressed when they're most strazzled. He goes for the weak when they're at their most weakest moment. He goes for the depressed when they're paralyzed by despair. The devil has no compassion. He goes for you when you're at your weakest. And he says to Jesus, feed yourself. Take this bread, turn it into stones. I know you can do this, Jesus. What are you waiting for? What's the big point in going out into the wilderness and making yourself hungry? Why would the Father make you do something like that? Why would, why would he lead you to this, through the Spirit to come out here and do this? Feed yourself. Just, no one's looking. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's just bread. You know, feed yourself. In other words, pause the Father's plan for you and use your power, use your resources, use the gifts that you've been given to satisfy yourself, to please yourself. Our society is obsessed with appetite. Absolutely obsessed. Everywhere you go, it's all about feeding your appetite. And I, and I don't know why, I mean, we can speculate about why, but do you remember how like, when you were a kid, you were always told to share? You're always told to be patient, be content with what you have. And I don't know what happens. Yeah, my, my children are nodding right now. That's the lessons that they're getting right now, you know. Good moralism right there that's being taught. But anyway, at some point, something changes, and all of a sudden the, wor- the, the, the message that we're taught is, if you have a desire, go after it. Feed it. You know, <laughs> feed it right there. Go for it. This is with things that we want. Oh, you're hungry? Go ahead and indulge yourself. You know, we can, we can go to the mall and get any kind of food that we want at any kind of moment. You know, go indulge yourself. Oh, and if you can't afford it, go ahead and put it on the credit card. Just pay for it later. You have a need right now, feed the need. And even if you don't feel like you have enough money for it, well, then fight for more money. Get more money in this world so that you can afford it, so that you can get that house or that car or that vacation or whatever. Oh, you're too stressed in this life? Well, just reach for the bottle. It's right there. It's okay. Just release some stress right now. Oh, you want to you know, you, you, you feed your appetite, relieve your nerves. That's, that's what our society tells you. Oh, you're not sexually satisfied right now? Go ahead, just click here. It's just on a screen. You're not hurting anybody around you anyway, right? It's immediate. Feed yourself. You want to sleep together even though you're not married yet? Why not? What does the Bible say about that anyway? Again, you're not hurting anybody, right? Go ahead. Go ahead, feed the desire. You have a desire for someone who's not your spouse? Well, you know, who says marriage is for forever anyway? You know, that's, that's kind of an unrealistic expectation. Again, you have a desire, act on it. We live in a society that defines ourselves off of your desire. If you feel some way and you are somehow suppressing that in yourself, 
Our society tells you that, that, that it's, it's, it's not a problem that's outside of you. You need, you need to go ahead and fulfill that. You need to um, feed the appetite and do it ASAP. Make some bread for yourself, Jesus. Fulfill your desires, Jesus. Feed your appetite now, Jesus. And so how does Jesus respond to this? How does he respond to this? Well, Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by bread alone. You know what I love about this? He's not saying something that only applies to himself. He doesn't say something that only applies to himself. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus isn't, he's not pulling the divinity card right now. He's not saying, I am the Messiah, therefore I do not live on bread alone. He's not leaning on some sort of supernatural abilities here. No, he states something that's true of us all, men and women. In fact, when he says man does not live by bread alone, that's, he means he's not excluding that to just the male gender. He could very well say humankind does not live by bread alone. You, you, you know that. But Jesus here, what I love about this, is that he's not just fighting for himself in this moment. He's fighting for every single one of you in this moment. He is in the wilderness fighting for me and for you in this moment. Humankind does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, the sustenance of this life, the substance to this life isn't about just appeasing your belly, no, or or other organs that you might have for that matter. No, man does not live by bread alone. To have a thriving, abundant, healthy life is not just about feeding your appetite. There are more important matters at hand. We live off of the word of God. We hang off of every word that comes off of the Lord's mouth. He's talking to us. He communicates to us. He wants a relationship with us. For men and women to flourish, we receive God's words, his declarations over us, his guidance. Yes, even his corrections. We receive those. We receive his affirmation. We remind ourselves of the words that he spoke to us over our baptisms. Now, yes, of course, we do need to eat. Yes, of course, there is a place for fine drink. Jesus' first miracle is to turn water into wine. Praise the Lord, right? Yes, there is a place for sex, right? These are good things that the Lord has given to us. But enjoying these things in their proper place is not the fullness of what life is all about. True, abundant, fulfilling vibrant, exciting life is when we're clutching to the words of God. So this is why fasting can be so beautiful. This is why fasting can sometimes even be thrilling to it. It's a time in which we find a a specific desire and we say no to it. We put a pause to that desire. Yes, I hunger for this, but my true hunger is for the Lord. We put a pause on our desires and focus on our hunger for Jesus Christ. So this year I, I gave up alcohol for Lent. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes, right? Okay. Um, I, I enjoy whiskey. Um, I, I like a little glass of whiskey every now and then. And you know what? After, after the Ash Wednesday service, it was so beautiful. I, it, it, was, it was wonderful. Uh, you as a team did a, a marvelous job of, of setting up and tearing down for it. The music was spectacular. And I was so happy uh, at the end of that service. I, I know it's odd to leave an Ash Wednesday service 
you know, when you've just been reminded of your mortality, to feel happy. But I, I felt happy after the service. I also felt a little tired, so I, I came home and I was like, man, a glass of whiskey would be very nice right now, right? But, oh, yeah, that's not going to happen. Lent just began about an hour ago. And uh, so I, a couple hours ago. So I prayed and I said, Lord, my satisfaction is in you. Lord, you are my rest. My soul is nourished by you, Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Lent, this is a time of fasting and it's a time in which we remind ourselves that we are more than just our bodily appetites. As Augustine says, our hearts are restless until we rest in the Lord. You, my friends, my brothers and sisters, are meant for relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus goes to the ringer here. The devil comes at him two more times. Uh, it's an intense moment for Jesus. We've just been talking about this for you know, 20 minutes or whatever, but Jesus experienced this for 40 days, for six weeks. It's a long time, right? And you know what I love by, at this? is uh, There at the end in verse 11, after the devil leaves, behold, angels came and were ministering to him. That word ministering to, it's, it's a word of, of attending to, uh, taking care of. It's not unreasonable to think that the angels brought food for our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as God provided food for the Israelites while they were in the wilderness, Jesus is now being nourished by his Father in heaven through uh, the ministry of the angels. God wants to minister to you as well. God wants to minister to you as well. You see, just as, uh, you see Jesus defeats the devil in the wilderness, but also he goes on to defeat the powers of sin, darkness, and death at the cross. He took upon himself all of our guilt, all of our failures, all of our brokenness, and he put them to death at the cross so that now we, through trust in him, can be cleansed and welcomed into the household of God. My point is this. When the Father sees you exhausted by the world, frazzled by the world, defeated by the world, he wants to minister to you too. The Holy Scriptures remind us, and, and our liturgy reminds us every week, that when we gather here at the table, as, as God's people, as we gather here to, to lift up the name of Christ, to worship him, that we're joined by angels and archangels. Do you ever think about that? Such a mysterious sort of thing to think about. The Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about it, but we are told that we're joined by angels and archangels. I wonder, are there angels who maybe fill some of the empty chairs that are in here? Who sing with us? When you come forward for prayer over there, are there angels that circle around you? You know, put their arms around you as you're lifting up your burdens? When our kids are over here dancing at the end of the service, you know, are there angels that are over there dancing with them? As you come forward for Holy Communion, are there angels behind you celebrating your coming forward to feast upon the presence of Christ? Are there angels who are... I don't know, sitting in the basketball goals right now or something. You know, are they here? Are they with us? I don't think it's unreasonable to think about those things. Your Father in, in heaven loves you. You are his adoptive child. You belong to him. There's been a high price that's been paid for you. And he sends his, his angels to minister to you. So beloved people of God, be encouraged. Be encouraged this morning. Let us pray. Jesus Christ, we love you. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour the weak. 
And Lord, we are weak creatures. We easily succumb to our own appetites. We distract ourselves. We try to satisfy ourselves by things that leave us hungry again. But Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you for coming here to this planet, to this earth, and disarming the schemes of the devil. Jesus, you welcome us home. Thank you. So Christ, during this season of Lent, give us grace. Give us grace as we grow in our repentance. Give us grace as we grow in our faith in you. And it's in your holy name that we pray all of these things. Amen.